Hi, I'm Gia Puyat, and this is Kwentong Creatives. A podcast to get to know the stories, strategies, and lessons of Filipino creatives across different fields. Kwentong Creatives is produced by Anima Podcasts. This next guest on the podcast is someone who I've been wanting to have for a very long time. She is the photojournalist Hannah Reyes Morales. We actually got to work on a project around 10 years ago. It was a travel ad back when she was more known as being a travel photographer and blogger. And ever since then, I've been seeing her career really blossom into this amazing body of work where she captures such striking images from the most intimate corners. And she's been hired by the New York Times, by Nat Geo. We talk about so much this episode about how she handled that shift from being known as a travel photographer into photojournalism and trying to be taken more seriously with that change. We talk about freelance life and how she was able to make connections and pitch projects and what it was like working in a male-dominated field. And despite all her achievements, she's really still very humble and honestly self-aware about her experience as this Filipina photographer who's on assignment all around the world. And we also talk about all the stories and lessons that she learned from each of her photo collections. And it's not really required, but I would recommend that you see her photos on her website or her Instagram because we get into the stories of these assignments and how it changed her. She's managed to capture all these really powerful images of people who found gentleness amidst violence, like victims of the drug war or women displaced by natural disasters. So such an insightful conversation behind someone who's contributing to like this body of work of the human story and it's really just fascinating stuff. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Hannah Reyes Morales. Today, we have Hannah Reyes Morales. She is an award-winning photojournalist and National Geographic explorer whose work conveys the human stories behind some of the critical issues of her time. And she was commissioned as a Nobel Peace Prize photographer in 2021, recognized as a cultural leader by the World Economic Forum. And one of her photographs was featured in the 100 iconic images of this century. And that's, that's just crazy to say. Um, and she's been published in the New York Times, National Geographic Magazine, The Atlantic, Washington Post, and many more. And that was one of the most impressive bios I read for this podcast. So very honored to welcome Hannah Reyes Morales. Welcome, Hannah. Thank you so much for having me, Gio. This is so lovely. Thank you so much for your time. We're excited to, to catch up with you. I, we were talking offline that we worked on this project like way back. Pa. So I, I want to, you know, catch up. I've been following your work, and it's been really mind blowing to see, you know, where you've reached with your photography. Um, but we might as well start with, you know, where you are right now. So you're you're calling in from Paris. Um, can you tell us what you've been doing there with the Columbia Institute for Ideas and Imagination? Yeah, no. So I'm on a year long fellowship um, with Columbia University. Uh, it's called the Institute for Ideas and Imagination, which is hilarious because it sounds a little bit like Hogwarts. It's bizarre. I feel like I've won the lottery um, getting into this fellowship because it's it's cool. It's not. I don't. I don't have to take any classes. I only have to teach, like twice. It's a bit like a residency where they bring um, scholars and academics uh, with artists. 
And so most of it really is about that fellowship. It's about that um, exchange between the academic world and the art world and practicing artists and working artists. Um, it's been super interesting because I guess, you know, and my friends know this, that I have always struggled to identify as an artist, I suppose. And it's one of those things where I, I'm a photographer, I'm a photojournalist, and, and I've always been comfortable in that space. Um, but this year, it's been interesting because I've learned sort of like just people's different approaches. Um, having having my, you know, my peers be writers, uh, novelists, uh, filmmakers, musicians, one other photographer. Um, it's been super transformative um, because it's it's getting to delve deeply into someone's process, someone else's process, um, but not in, you know, like a an overly involved kind of like workshop way, but actually getting to be embroiled in other people's lives. Um, that's been really cool. I've been here now for about seven months, I think. Just to kind of provide context of, you know, um, where you came from. Um, yeah, do you remember when you became familiar with like that operating a camera, you know, because I like asking this to other photographers because there's so many factors like the technology at the time, the culture. Um, I had Shira Luna before and, and Karen De La Fuente on the podcast, and they said they learned to really, you know, get to know their instrument in, in the gig scene because they, they like music and then they would go out to watch music and take photos of their favorite bands. Um, but yeah, what was it like for you? Like, what was the setting where you really got to know your instrument? I mean, it, it was step by step. Like, my, one of my first cameras was the iZone, which was just a Polaroid, right? Like, the little baby Polaroid the size of a thumb. Like, the picture was a ba very baby little picture. And I'm still obsessed with little pictures. Like, I'm obsessed with pictures that are this small. Um, and that was my first one, um, I think. Uh, I, you know, was borrowing people's cameras all the time um but I, I had a job uh photographing in in tiendecitas in a bar for people's facebook tags uh that was like my regular job i was getting paid every week for that you know while i was still studying in up i was photographing from like 10 p.m to like 2 a.m from thursdays to saturdays while writing my thesis it was insane uh, and I also had a business or so selling ukay ukay um, on Multiply. Um, yeah, and I mean, you know, I was doing a lot, but the camera was just kind of like a tool for other things. Uh, I wasn't like looking at sort of like composition. Yeah. So, so I kind of like had to learn the technicals. Um, and then I, I also did like an internship with a wire agency, which was super interesting because then they would loan me like the highest end cameras at the time and so I had to work fast and use but the cameras were super heavy but it was also like the top end equipment so then I could see the difference between you know different kinds of equipment and different kinds of cameras and, and how to operate those um yeah like I mean it, it was just different different periods I'm not a technical photographer um till now like i use the same i use one lens i use one little body and i don't change it so much um at most i use two but um yeah i, I mostly work with the 35 um 
just yun lang. And and I'm not I'm not very like uh, concerned by optics. Like I I know what I like and I know how to get there, but I don't. I'm not one of those photographers that's like overly concerned with like aperture and rules and making sure that the grain is clean. Like I'm not like that. I'm more concerned by composition and what's actually in the frame and the human to human relationships within it and what it can do and where it can go. Yeah, I mean that shows that that's I think that's why your photos are so interesting. Um but I guess just to unpack more of that that time in your life. I, it makes me remember the last time we really got to talk um, was when we were working on a travel film for Globe, like 2014, 13. Um, and it's just crazy how different, you know, situations were back then. But um, I remember that the ad was had the, had the title. Just 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> a decade ago. Mm-hmm. A decade ago, so like, yeah. A decade ago, the caption was, um, it was like, a, you know, travel around the Philippines with travel photographer Hannah Reyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like fresh grad era. Um, we we're all like young creatives trying to make a name for ourselves. Had a blog, that's why. <laughs> yeah, can you tell us what was your headspace at the time? Like, what were the career paths that were open to you for as a photographer? I mean, I had a blog at the time, and in many ways, like the blog was super helpful because it taught me how to sequence images. It taught me how to write to images. It taught me, you know, how to lay out images and really use kind of like the tech to tell a story it was multimedia and, and i mean it wasn't a jokes following you know like i was young but like it, like i had posts that had you know shares at the thousands at the time and and it's it, it was real you know and and it was like so earnest i didn't have an expensive camera i didn't have any money to fund the travels i just wanted to try to take pictures and at the time i thought that at the time, and I mean, there's there's a very significant shift that happened to me where before I wanted to use the camera so I could travel because the end goal that I wanted to do was to travel. And now I want, I need to travel so I can use my camera. It's it's subtle, but it's like, I, I don't, I, I rarely now go on holiday, for example, or like just go just to say, for, just for the sake of going. I've been in Paris the last seven months and I've not, like I've left a total of six days. Um, and I have no desires to sort of like go around Europe or go on a Euro trip. I'm just, I just want to be here and I want to, you know, get to know one place deeply. Um, and unless there's sort of like a business or a work need, I haven't left. Um, and so that's a significant shift from like the younger version of me that sort of wanted to, I mean, it's funny because our generation was super lucky we graduated at a time when that was sort of the thing to do, right? Like Tabu Pacific flights that are cheap. People wanted to, we were more, we were so expeditionary, our generation. Um, we wanted to go camping and I'm, I'm, I'm sure that still happens, but, but at the time it was like kind of like what the mentality was, was that like, let's hit as many places as possible. It's, there's so many travel bloggers and it was like such a thing and such a resource. Like I remember, I remember that every time I would make, you know, like a post about a place, the people I would visit would text me and say that people had gone based on my blog post, you know, and, and, you know, writing information, itineraries, all of that, exchanging all of that was, yeah, like it it allowed me to sort of um, understand the possibilities of what storytelling can be. And at the time it was travel storytelling. Um, 
And then, of course, like I, yeah, after shortly after that, that globe thing, I moved to Cambodia. Um, then I was in Phnom Penh for three years. So that changed like everything for me, I suppose, because then I started being friends with foreign correspondents, like journalists who were not of this that particular place. Um, and then after that, I came home and saw the Philippines very differently. And when I was in Cambodia, that was when I was doing my first assignment for like the New York Times in Cambodia, you know, and, and that was really interesting. And so I deleted my blog then because of that, because I didn't want to be known by editors as it was like a very businessy move. Like I didn't want to be known as a blogger. I had to remove any pictures of myself in a bikini, you know, which, you know, it's like lovely, but also sad. Like I was young and I was brown and I wanted, you know, I was making sense of myself in the world as well as a human body. Like, um, and I had to remove myself from kind of like the face of the earth because I didn't want that to to be the main thing. And I wanted to be known for what I was creating rather than, sort of like to be one of those photographers who whose accessory was the camera, but they were more known sort of like as a blogger or like as an influencer. And I didn't want that for myself. And, and of course, that's a totally valid choice, but it, it was not the choice that I wanted for me um, because then I could see the other possibilities and I could also start to feel sort of like the scene in Cambodia not taking me seriously because I had a blog or whatever. Um, yeah, so... So yeah, like I, I miss it and I, I'm sad that, I mean, it's in an archive that's private that only I can access and I return to it sometimes just to sort of see sort of past versions of me. Um, but I, yeah, I, I just wanted to to sort of shift, shift more towards telling the stories of others. And, and also because I had to shift platform, right? Like I didn't want myself to be the main platform. I was really excited to collaborate. Like one of the things that I love about my job now is that I'm working with an editor, I'm working with a publication and their reach is more than mine. And they're reaching the right places that I could never build that for myself. And that's what I was doing in a blog, right? Like you were building your own platform, you're building your own um, so now it's kind of, I guess, twofold. Like I also have my own platform, but um, that that's only been possible because of Nat Geo as a platform, because of the New York Times as a platform. Yeah, I'm curious about that that shift in in mindset now of how you use your photography from from travel, from leisure to to photojournalism. Was it what attracted you to that? Um, was it the, the structure, the ability to tell more serious stories, or um, yeah, what what brought you into that world? Because it seems like a something something very intentional and very and and I guess difficult to to penetrate, right? So what prompted that shift? I was always concerned, like as a kid, it was a very activist uh, upbringing, right? Like we were we would be excused from class if we wanted to rally. We could choose whether we wanted to get confirmed or not, and I didn't like. I was uh, I was in theater as well, but I was with um, New Voice Company, which was staging the Vagina Monologues, Revolutionary Hearts. Like it was very, very like activist childhood, accidentally, because my mom was not like that. You know, like my mom was always very empathetic and very concerned by poverty and people around her. She's a religious, so she, she was always very like. Um, 
you know, like we were always taught to do what was right, what was ethical, to be useful as people in the world who were very service oriented. You know, in Saints School, I was part of the religion extension class, which meant more hours of religion, which didn't mean more classes listening to God. It was literally going out and volunteering. And it was like from high school, we were we were asked to immerse with Aita communities, with fishermen. We were visiting um, inmates in prison. Imagine like 12, uh, not 12, maybe 13, 14 year olds like being asked and, and imagine being a teacher handling like 42 girls in a prison. It's pretty crazy. Like we, we were, you know, we were in Smoky Mountain and we were in Tondo like on Tuesdays. We were visiting orphanages and every week we, we were going somewhere. Um, and and then you know you could apply to do like let's say like five days with like a fisher folk community which is really not different from what i do now um and that was sort of the the beginnings of you know my exposure to realities that were were diverse and different um and it was always there i, I just got sidetracked i think the travel thing was sidetracked because i was I was just super, I, I wanted to see shit. Like I wanted to see stuff. I wanted to, to be in different places. Um, but I don't think that they were mutually exclusive necessarily. Um, but it was always there. And so when I learned and realized that photography could be used for that, and more importantly, when I learned that it was possible for someone like me, a brown photographer in Kapinai, to do it, then I was like, oh, okay, well, th that's what I want. Um, and I don't think it happened immediately, but it, it was happening kind of like slowly in conjunction with each other. Like my first assignment for the New York Times was a travel assignment. It wasn't a critical issue assignment. It was documenting stores in Angkor Wat. Like it was like kind of like a little small and very uh, like it was a style piece, you know, like it wasn't um, it wasn't like a hard hitting piece or anything, but it you know, like it was cool. Like it was cool to get to see, you know, something you worked on in the pages of the Times. Um, and I had that already in the wire before um, when I was interning. Um, I, I had seen that it was was possible for my work to be in Time Magazine, to be in New York Times, to be in Natrio, and I just didn't know how to get there. And then when I started properly freelancing, then I learned. I learned how to pitch. I learned how to research. I learned how to report. I was fixing for a while. I was trying. I was acting as a translator. So, so I was doing all these random things. Um, it was kind of intentional, but I, I don't think it was like goal oriented in any in any way. Yeah. Well, I'm curious. Like, what was uh, like the landscape like for photojournalists in the Philippines? Because it seems to be like I don't know. Maybe like a uh, was it like a male dominated industry at the time where you know you had to be kind of rugged? What was that like when you first joined doing that? I mean, it sucked because I, I, I wanted to do that and I thought I couldn't because I was like, I'm not fitting in. Like, I can't just sit down and walk in conversations that, that I couldn't like relate to, feel like vulnerable. I was like 19 and gangly and little and um, it was, it, it was, it was weird and, and it, I couldn't, I couldn't fit in and, and I thought maybe this just wasn't for me. Um. But then I, at the same time, I was like, oh, but I'm also kind of good. Like, I was like, it was, it was funny. It was like a dynamic of like, well, I don't fit in. And this is super hostile in some ways. Um, 
there are very few people that I felt super comfortable to ask questions to. Um, and I was always alone. Like I, I was always like, you know, you go out in the field and you would see other, like you would see all these photographers and very few times would you see another woman. And then the, the first time I ever saw a woman in the field, I was like super excited. Um, I think it was like a protest and they were like, oh, you know, like, you know and it was like yeah and it was like parang sakit. and and so yeah like it was all these things that i did not know how to process well and among me to movement non like there was no movement of women photographers which i eventually found like around 2017 very late in my career but when i was young yeah like those things were just super off-putting and i wanted to do news and i still have not really done a lot of hard news you know, I'm a photojournalist, but I haven't done a lot of hard news. I went straight to features and I would have wanted the chops to do news. But it was just so, I just didn't, I was so tired all the time. Just feeling incredibly deflated and defeated. Um, and so that's also why I shifted to travel, actually, because the... The wire agency came first before the travel, before the travel blog, and so I shifted there and then sort of wriggled my way back to documentary, which is a blessing in disguise. Because, because I guess like then I I started to think more about what stories can I do that I'm not part of the pack, and how can I do it differently? Like what hasn't been said yet? Um, and so I always kind of was forced to think out of the box. Yeah, I think that's very relatable for a lot of Filipino creatives. Uh, I mean, the the realities of doing music here, of doing filmmaking, photography. I mean, there's so much bullshit that you have to deal with. So I was initially going to ask you about, you know, how does one break out of this bubble? How do you, you know, get work abroad? Which I'm, I still want to ask eventually, like, you know, for people who are curious. But I found... Um, what you said earlier, really interesting, and a, a quote you said online. And initially, I wanted to use photography as a tool and a passport to leave this country. But as I went deeper into my practice, I realized it was really important for me to understand home. And um, yeah, I found that really interesting because um, even me, you know, that, that's something I think about constantly. Like, how can I get, you know, advertising work abroad? You know, it's shitty here, whatever. But yeah, for so- from someone who's gone on like this global journey with their work. Can you unpack that idea for us? I think my my portfolio is funny. Like, or for a long time, it was funny because it was like all these like things that were kind of super random. You know, like I did a global story on beauty for Nat Geo. And then the rest of my portfolio was like Philippine, Philippine, Philippines, and then some eagle hunters in Mongolia, and then Philippines. So it's like, it's always coming back. It's always push and pull. And and for me, it's important to to learn as a photojournalist to have both like an insider and an outsider perspective. Because for me, coming in as an outsider to a space, I want to be sure that I know what it was like to cover my own first so that I know the kind of sensibility that I need to have as a storyteller too and the kind of sensitivity that, that you need to enter those spaces. Um, I think like the understanding home is interesting and then for me that's what i've been lucky with when it comes to photography because i think a lot of people from the creative demographic the educated demographic don't actually get to engage the philippines in uh, a wide and on the ground way um i mean obviously a lot of people do but i think 
I think that there's there's a lot of gaps in our own understandings about the Philippines, and especially when your understanding of the Philippines as a middle class person, say, is you know that the poor need to be your outreach. It's like it's not, or you know, like your interactions with them are like waiters. Or yeah, it's 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 so hierarchical. It's like a very class based society, the Philippines, and. And I think a lot of people haven't learned how to engage, or no, I, I mean maybe that's unfair. But 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 for me, what what photography taught me was that that I could engage, um, I could engage a broad range of people, but as an equal, because I was asking for access and I was asking for consent, and they had no responsibility to say they had no obligation to say yes or no to me. And then so, 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 you know, like you're always trying to shift the power dynamics so that, like, you know, it, it's, it's sad because like in the Philippines, like as a photographer, you go to a space and then people will call you ma'am, but really you're the one disturbing them and you're the one sort of asking for their time. And, and because of um, how baked in like class systems are for us, like people feel like, oh, they have to talk to you. And I'm always trying to shift that power dynamic. Um, but I think a lot of people haven't had to do that in for work. They haven't had to to like we've been trained to just accept that that power dynamic exists. And so I think like you know what I mean when when I say like understanding the Philippines is from those lens. And of course, like I'm, I'm very cognizant and self aware that those power dynamics, of course, are there, and and I just have to be like good about it. But um, I think what was I trying to say? Um. I think that that's one of the that's sort of what I mean when I say like understanding the Philippines. It's like understanding its people, right, and understanding the kind of respect that you need to give and and how diverse the country is. Like you know, as you know, like in some places of the Philippines, like we from Manila will come, and we're not we're not gonna be part of that, right? Like it, it's it's. Um, it's not people's yeah we don't even speak the language like when I'm, you know when i'm in marawi for example working there i'm like it's like a different country it's a war that i didn't go through personally you know it's it's a dynamic that i didn't have to go through. i didn't, wasn't displaced um and so yeah like the, those are the things that i think have been interesting sort of like to understand from like what does this nation mean and what does it mean to be part of our, this archipelago because we're all separated the islands are all separated but, but we've been told that we're one country but what, what does that mean yeah I, I find that so interesting i mean the questions you're asking are are so complex you now what it means to be a part a filipino um and also participating in photography because I feel like what you were just talking about you know having that perspective is something that was afforded to you because you engaged in something that's um you know like empathy right it's a photography and being asking to be let into these people's lives as you have to show compassion to their situation and engage with them as equals which is something that takes work and a lot of effort that not a lot of um filipinos have to do right so um yeah i just wanted to highlight that because it's such an interesting i don't know like a you kind of circled back to to that spot after you know, engaging with your art. Because um, usually the people will just be like, okay, it's hopeless here. Um, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going out. And I think that's fair. You know, like my friends, now they know I'm fair. They're like, Hans, what can I do? Like, 
hirap sa Pinas. And, and yes. here, I'm just like, wow, may sidewalks. Okay, ah. Like, <laughs> yeah. The small things. <laughs> sidewalks. Tapos parang mas mura yung groceries ko dito. Sabi ko, paano nangyari? Bakit mas mura? You know, ang mas mahal lang dito yung rent ko. Or like, fancy yung restaurant here. Yung sibuyas pa dyan, ano? Hindi mm, na naman mag- mahali sibuyas dyan. Mm, <laughs> tapos parang, parang yung fancy restaurants dito, kapresyo lang ng wildflower. I'm like, what? To, to buy, like to buy, oh, to buy a place. Yeah, I mean, I love wildflower. <laughs> I'm, I'm a brunch girl at wildflower. Um, but it's the same price, you know. It's like, um, and it, it's massively different cities. Like one is a city in, in the global south, and one is the center of European, like it's a European capital. Um, and it's like, why? Like Manila is actually very freaking expensive, right? Um, and Yeah, like even like me and my husband, you know, like we, yeah. But it, it, anyway, like I have a lot of opinions, but we, we don't have to go go there. Sige, um, <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I, I wanted to ask naman about more of the craft of photography, no? Because I mean, you have such an interesting body of work that you've built over the years, and um, you know, like it seems like every assignment you go through, it's such a tangible experience that kind of probably changed, you know, your perspective on a lot of things. So. Um, I kind of wanted to use the timeline of your projects to talk about um, the insight you picked up as a creative, as a photographer, and um, maybe we can start with uh, the the drug war, your coverage of the drug war in the season of darkness. So you cover the drug war and the images that come up. I mean, of course, this is a podcast, but to go for the listeners, um, you could just look that up on Hannah's website, and there's like a collection of of that project. And it just kind of prompted the question for me, like, to what extent You know, is it helpful to to distance yourself from the situation of what you're shooting, or also be objective to like the, um, and compassionate to the suffering that that you're you know being witness to? Yeah, I mean that that's super hard because it's like I don't want to be desensitized. That's just not the kind of person that I want to be in the world. Like I didn't choose this craft, so. I could close my eyes, right? Like it's like it's gonna happen whether or not we were there as a photographer. And what you're asking people to do is to to feel and to feel something when they see this. And if I'm not feeling anything, how how are how are the viewers gonna feel anything? And so, you know, you 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 just kind of go and you feel and then you process. Um, And yeah, like I've changed my opinion a lot about this, but it, it's I, I really believe that there's no way to be truly, truly objective. Like you can be factual and you can be truthful and you can say your process and you can talk about what was happening and what was going on. But at the same time, it's like, well, you know, I have an, kind of have an opinion about this. And not kind of, I have an opinion about this, right? Like as a human being. And, and of course, like you want to question how you want to state the facts and you want to make sure it's balanced meaning like you I, I don't think I've ever gone to a story and then what I had assumed was what it was meaning like it's always changed my my own perspective and so in that way I'm also changing right like in that way like stories do you do let stories change you and, and you go past like the tropes um I, yeah like I mean the distance I I don't necessarily like I, i i set boundaries for sure but in terms of just letting myself like feel what's going on i, I do that 
because it's not fair. It's not fair to the people in front of you, right? Like you're you're asking to be there at their most vulnerable, at the worst moment of their lives, and then you're like, "Peace out. I don't care." Right? It's it's shitty. Like it's just shitty, and I don't. I'm a person first. It's like the photography cliche. It's like you're a human first before you're a photographer. And then what what kind of human is that varies. But for me, like I always ask. Um, what what human I am in that situation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, was there like an adjustment period to all this, especially when you were covering the drug war, you're going to these places that you know, not a lot of people see, like there's a lot of gore, dead bodies and grieving families. But like, I mean, that energy is already, can be overwhelming, right? So mm-hmm. was there like, how did you adjust to all that? Yeah, I mean, that you had well, you're just kind of on survival mode. It's also very late. It's like three a.m. most of the time, and you're like shifting your sleep, and it, it, it's grueling. I mean, I didn't do it for as long as other photographers did. Even like, I wasn't one of like the night crawlers. Um, they were like a, a group that was just like there every evening. I decided that I wanted to do daytime recording after the deaths. I wanted to see what how communities moved on after this and that's why my focus actually was the second part of that story which was how do lives continue after violence and how does tenderness coexist with the violence how does gentleness and love coexist with such horrifying things and that was what i was interested in anyway and then everybody else was doing such a good job as well of showing what was going on and the horrors that were going on that i was trying to see what else i could add to the conversation that hadn't been said yet um, and for me, that was like one way of sort of like looking past, right? Like what what media deems as important, and looking looking at what I find as an individual human being to be important and to 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 be said, um, and kind of like trusting and validating that, like you know, like you see, you know, is it like the New York Times won a Pulitzer on their coverage of the drug war, and it takes a lot of sort of faith to move away from like what the sort of like big publications think is important and then i think that that's that's super uh yeah that was just a choice that i made it's definitely what kind of jumps out at me when i look at that series of images like the second half of that drug war coverage and i see it even in your your other um collections right your other assignments um it's just something that's so hopeful about finding the, the beauty in the darkness, like the moments of hope, um, despite all the chaos. Um, what, 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 yeah, what prompted that? Was that just something that personally interested you? That interested you? That apparently you you decided to to look for. I was interested in victim narratives, like how how are victims portrayed, and how do you, as a victim, see yourself. And like humans are so complex and and our experiences are so complex and like anybody can look at their own life and know that, you know, one moment won't really be the only moment that will define them. And if it does, it's often unexpected what you do with it. Um, And so I was just curious about that. Um, but also, I, I just wanted to humanize it because I was just like, how many how many dead bodies can you put in a series really? before you're just like, okay, what about life, you know? Um, yeah, I, I was just, I think I was just also tired of, like my eyes were also tired and I needed to, to know that that other things coexisted with and intermingled with it because, you know, as much as Filipinos hate the word resilience, 
there was a lot of resilience um, in the real sense of the word and not sort of like the imposed sense of the word. I am galen resilient kayo and we don't have responsibility to you anymore. Actually, no, it's like there's people who are really exhibiting, you know, like the truer sense of resilience and people who are sort of showing us as people, as a collective society, what it is to, to have grace, what it is to have strength, what it is to have, you know, um, your own narratives about a situation. And, and that's so far... Um, from you know statistics and and of course like those things are important of course it's important to say this is wrong this is important to say look at what's happening this is important to say that the violence exists but at the same time i think it's also important to shine a little light at the very least on sort of the sense making that comes around that and and how else we can look how else we can see and uh, yeah i mean since we're here in the topic of of uh, victimhood, like maybe we can use this as a chance to segue to uh, your work on shelter from the storm. Uh, so mm. where you covered women who've been displaced by natural disasters, and as survivors had to become sex workers since Angeles Pampanga. Um, also, uh, roots from ashes, uh, the mm. stories of rape mm. victims from World War Two. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I guess on that topic, no, like. Uh, I, I interviewed Atong Arali before in the podcast and he said with his stories and he tries to look for um, dignity you know, with these subjects, na parang, that, that quiet dignity in the mm-hmm. people he's covering. But hindi lang voyeurism, hindi lang, oh, here's this person's mm-hmm. life and then bye. Um, and yeah, you, can you just unpack that idea of using photography to inspire empathy within people? Mm-mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, like, where where conversations about about um, assault fall short is is this idea of kind of like a perfect victim when you know like one of the things that I found interesting was how diverse the perspectives were and how how personal the experiences were um, and then I was also interested for those two stories in particular in um, the lack of structures to support healing. And in the face of the lack of those structures, actually, women are building those structures for themselves. Mm-hmm. So that's what's interesting in in those collections of of photos. And you explore the complexities of of a victim and a survivor. Now it's it's not just pity, you know. There's also something to celebrate and like solidarity, happiness, you know. Yeah, I mean, for for me, like. I guess it's like for me, I've been nurtured by different kinds of women and, and I'm very interested in sort of that love um, and how transformative that can be. Um, and so for those two stories, it was about one was about sisterhood and one was about like neighbors, like a group of lolas, right? Yeah, for, for Shelter from the Storm, that was a story um, by Aurora Almendral, who's my reporting partner, and, and she had been obsessed with this idea that women were getting displaced into the sex trade after typhoons. Since she covered Haiyan, I didn't get to cover Haiyan. Um, I was I had just moved to Cambodia then, and so this was sort of like my um, way of documenting sort of like something long-term, like when these things have long-term effects. Both of these stories are way after the fact right like the lolas are already at this part of history but they're living remnants of history and i was i was like oh my god these lolas are still alive you know they're like you can ask them yourself that i was super curious about 
and for, for those two for those two stories. You mentioned early on that when you used to go into uh, an assignment, you had this assumption that changed by the end when you finished it. Was there? Can you point to any example about you know um, what changed after you, you covered these stories? You know, from for shelter from the storm, like it was more like what I I, I guess it's like often you when you think about sex trafficking, you have this sort of like expectation of what sex trafficking will look like. And for me, what was surprising was sort of like, at what point do you say that people kind of consented to this displacement, right? Like it's like in the Philippines, our technical definition of sex trafficking is that if you were displaced based out of need, meaning if somebody sort of like trafficked you, if somebody offered you like um, a job like sex work and they were preying at you because you lost your home and everything, then that's trafficking. But then at the same time, you know, I think the, the, the assumption that we have about sex trafficking is that people are getting loaded into trucks against their will when actually it was more like a negotiation between them. So, so there were all these things that like, I was surprised by. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, you know, like for, for sex workers, for example, they're some of the smartest and most capable Filipinas I've ever met in my life, right? Like, these are people who are super international. They know what's up. They know what Americans are like. They know, like, I, I went with them and they had all these, like, they wanted to give me, like, a makeover. And they're like, ah, ito, pag-Korean yung client mo, ganito dapat. Ah, ito, yung mga puti, ito yung gusto nila. Pag galing sila sa Amerika, kailangan medyo may ano kalaman ka, la 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 la. <laughs> you know, like they they have like all of these like interesting anthropological observations about the male gaze that I was just like, holy, <laughs> or like yeah, little things like I I was I remember because I was about to get married at the time and I was getting married in Palawan, so I was like hanging out with um with sex workers while I was like picking out flowers for my wedding. It was really very strange, but. It was like little things like the tips that, that people have, you know, like where th- there's entire like, I mean, there's things that never make it into the story, right? But but ours kind of like super surprising, like the, the modistas for sex workers, right? Like who designs the clothes um, and how do they make it? And I had a bunch of like bikinis made there, you know, and it, it was cool like to kind of like get to hang out with them in that way and, and to get advice in that way, you know, and, and, and to, to learn sort of like beauty culture um, with sex workers and, and what they think you lack as a woman. <laughs> it sounds like you're really, you know, connected with these people. You didn't just like come in, take photos and leave. Like you established like a real connection. Sometimes, I mean, in that moment, like, I mean, obviously I could do more by like being more long. Like I, I, I visited them, you know, years after I've met, you know, their children and all of that. And yeah, like it, it's, it's still not enough. But I guess I, I did want to lead that to my next question about how do you establish like trust, you know, and rapport with the people that you, you set out to photograph. And I think in context of redefining beauty but like the the photos you took for Nachio for those who who don't know it it's a collection of images of, of women um around the globe and it's kind of re- about redefining the meaning of beauty but different 
communities parang finding ways to define beauty for themselves. Um, but yeah, I just found the, the photos you took um, even in um, in um, living lullabies. I think and you're let into such like an intimate space, you know. And um, yeah, it, sometimes it, it I, f- I forget that there's a photographer who took that photo because you're you know it's like a window into this really private space. And I just that's part of the thing that kind of you know it's mind mind boggling for me. Like how did it, you know how did she get there? I mean, that's a, a lot of it. By the time you're in someone's bedroom, you have 400% consent, right? Like, <laughs> they're not going to let you with their babies if you if you aren't, if they're not consenting fully to you being there. And, um, you know, like, it, it, it takes, it, it's it's about sort of understanding how encounters are meant to be and, and knowing that you're only there for a little bit, but making sure that the moment that you're there, you are a joy to be around. And at most you're not dragging people down and, and you can sense when your presence is being heavy as a photographer and it's just constantly reading the room. Um, you're always reading like, like I'm, I'm barely photographing. I'm mostly just like reading a room and, and trying to see, you know, if I'm doing too much, la, 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 if people are uncomfortable and, yeah, like I don't think you get to those moments if you don't do that. Um, the other thing is sort of being fully honest with people. Yeah, like, why would you talk to a journalist? It's not good for anybody. <laughs> like, so by the time that they are talking to a journalist, these are people who also want their stories told, right? Like, a lot of the time, like, it, what you don't see in the pictures of the people I couldn't photograph, right? Like, people who wouldn't let me in. Um, and then that's that's part of it. And, and that's okay. Like, you have to let people say no to you. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, it's, it's just honesty, authenticity, try not to trick your way into, you know, someone's lives, like, um, being straightforward, being humble, being, being yourself small. <laughs> I mean, you know, like for better or worse, like we, we talked about masculinity earlier and sort of the idea that like journalism is such a masculine field. Well, this is what I can do as as somebody of my body. Like I can make myself small. I can make myself unnoticeable. I can be somebody that's like fully non-threatening and all of that stuff. Like you just kind of learn how to lean in into what your strengths are as a storyteller. And I think that might be mine. Ganda, yeah. I mean, I was going to ask you about how you immerse yourself in an environment. And I'm thinking about some of the photos from the Manila City Jail, um, mm. your Mongolia photos. It's just like you're, you're, you're providing that, you know, parang fly on the wall perspective almost. You know, and, and yet it's not because I'm so near people. Like, yeah. if you look at my picture, I'm very close. Yeah. So I'm not, not fully a fly on the wall, right? Yeah, so I, I do want to ask. Um, I have a few more questions, but I, I wanted to get about developing style because it's photography is such a broad, you know, um, art form, and you can express it in so many different ways. Um, and I think that's that's a lot of you know that's on the mind of a of a young photographer, especially you know a young creative, the how they use their camera. Um, can you talk about how you found your own style? I, I mean, that's a cliche about what every photo is a self-portrait, right? Um, and you kind of, the way you compose an image is like your perspective. But yeah, the, uh, what are, are your thoughts on style, developing style? I didn't like think about what my style was ever. I just 
sort of tried to be led with what was natural, what came naturally to me. So, I mean, obviously, like when you're starting out, you're trying on different hats and you're looking at like photographers, other photographers work and you take, you know, one part of how one photographer lights and you kind of put it in your work. Uh, you look at all these things, paintings, music, all of that. And, you know, like, like I think that that's how I am with everything. Um, it's not just my photography style. It's how I decorate my house. It's like, well, I don't need a peg and I don't need like a Scandinavian style in my home. Like, I just have to trust that what I like will make sense with each other. Um, and because it's coming from one place and, and that's more genuine to me than sort of like crafting it very carefully. Um, you know, like I didn't, I didn't set off to like try to take intimate pictures or anything. It was just what I was drawn to, like naturally it was so organic. Um, I, you know, what was more unorganic was when I was like doing fashion, for example, I was like, what the hell is this? I didn't know that. I don't know how to do this. Even travel, it's more unorganic because it's like, there's a style for travel. Like you go to a beautiful place and you tell the place you're not good enough. I need to wait for another light. It's too bright here, right? Like, and it's asking for a place to be different than what they are. And and the love of of documentary is that, you know, you try to find ways to sort of work with what's there. And okay, I don't go and try to bring my flash or light it differently. Um, you know, I, I'm intentional about what time of days I go and photograph, and I learn the light and how it interacts with people's faces and whatnot. But like I think my development of my style was just a collage of like all the things that I had been through all the things that I was looking at all the things I was interested in how other how the person in front of me was responding to me how they see themselves it's collaborative um I let my friends dictate my style in a lot of ways like I you know Jerry Cruz edits my work a lot Derek Cruz always looks at my images first and he's like the one person in the Philippines whose eyes like I trust more than mine and like I I have that and, and that's good like I'm lucky um because yeah like, he's a better photographer than me um and and it, it's good to have you know that kind of trust with other people but that I think developing style is just so complicated and the last thing that I, the, I think that the only thing that I can say for sure is that I don't think that people should be, you know, very intentional, like having a peg and then copying off of that, like, and then saying that this is the way to do it. Like, the, like coming up with something original is more fun. Coming up with something that's yours is more fun. And that takes uh, your entire life. Yeah. And I guess it's your your experience as a person who, you know, with 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 friends, person who's occupied different spaces around the world, and I think that's related to what I want to ask next about, you know, I rarely get to talk to people who you know been as immersed in different cultures as you've been, or seen different continents, and has this this experience of humanity that's I guess just more diverse than the average person. Um, and I I I'm just curious if this if you ever kind of you know contemplate on that. Um, if there's any kind of recurring observation that you've returned to about, you know, like people, like humans, you know, about the human story, is there any kind of, I don't know, like um, something that just a recurring pattern that just you, you notice, yeah, that you've noticed over the years? 
I know it's like a long-winded question, but I thought I'd ask it no, anyway. No, no, I mean, it, it's it's a hard one because it's so different, right, in different places. And, like, you, there's so much that you have to understand before you can get into anywhere, right? Like, I think, like, you know, like, one of the things that I that I'm always grateful for at the very least is, is there, I, may, I might not have like a universal observation about all of that, but I'm always just generally like, I'm just super grateful for like hospitality. Like I am grateful for generosity because it's like, wow, like I'm fully, my existence in the world is fully dependent on generosity of other people, generosity of people in front of my camera, but also generosity of like my editors, just like, I was a kid from the Philippines and they were just like, yeah, sure, go do that. And you seem like you can handle it. And I, oh, I wasn't sure, you know, and that kind of generosity has filled my life. And, and I take that with me. Like, I feel like I have angels um, in the world. And I now like that I'm a person with more, one of the greatest joys of my life is having something to give and something having to having something to share and yeah like I, I mean that's been universal in terms of like every everywhere i go there will always be someone generous there will always be somebody who's like trying to help and be protective of you like obviously there's the flip side of that which is that of course in a lot of places it's hostile and, and you will meet a lot of like people who don't have your interests um, with them but I think through time I've just been able to find out like and feel out um, where where I can actually be like sort of, sort of like rely and trust this is sort of, in one way it's a like faith like it's faith that you will find it somehow and I think that you know that trust is really hard like it's not like I go into assignments thinking I know what exactly what to do Every time I have a new story, every time I have a new assignment, you're always afraid that it's fully not going to pan out. You know, I'm, I'm on two big projects this year and I'm just like freaking out. Like, I'm just like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Um, and so it takes a lot of almost like mystic faith that I've been able to practice because of Catholicism that, that, that things will work out. And they tend to, to work out for the most part. Um, and when they don't, people don't know what hasn't worked out. So... And uh, yeah, that makes me feel better to hear in a, such a relatable experience when you go into a new project. Like it's it's really a creative like hypothesis and you're not sure how it's going to work out, right? So Yeah, and you're like, what if I'm fully wrong? <laughs> Every time. Okay, um, so yeah, I do, do want to wrap things up now and uh, let's kind of circle back to where you are now. You know, we talked about your all your, your body work, your inspirations, you know, covering everything. Um, and I, you know, I want to ask about you know your mental health as a international photojournalist. About right? what's what's your mindset when you're kind of like in between assignments, and how do you make space for yourself after you know sharing the burden of you know so many stories and you know learning about these people around the world? I think like it, it's it's interesting because it's like you go to other people's lives and you know that they have, like for for so many of the stories that I worked on, like nothing that I can carry can possibly be heavier than what they're carrying. Really, really, you know, like who am I to, to be like, oh my God, like it's so hard. Like it's not okay, right? Like it's like you're you're with people who are victims of injustice and 
you're with people who you know and of course there's there's difficulty obviously there's challenge and difficulty in looking this challenge like it's easier for people to go through the world when their lives are comfortable to just close their eyes but that's not what i've chosen and i know that and i'm aware of it and i'm not trying to escape that um I decided that and I am going to live with it. And and I think that it helps a lot that I've decided that I would carry it with people, you know, and, and I think that that's more than anything, like something that I am a little like uh, stubborn about, you know, like I'm not going to forget. And then, I mean, that's why I take a picture. It's like, I don't want to forget. And, um, you know, like obviously like the making space for myself, there are people who carry for me, who carry with me, you know, like I have my, my people. And the thing that I, I've, I've very few things in the world that I'm proud of. I'm not, I'm not a proud person and I am always afraid of being arrogant and all of that. But there is one thing I'm proud of, which is my people. Like I'm very, very proud of the friends that I have, the community that I have. Um, I am proud of, you know, who I married. I'm proud of like my best friends. I'm proud of, who they are to me and what I've become because of them and all of that. And, you know, like that support is, is more than anything, the, the most necessary thing. I think it has been the most necessary thing because it's, I know that I'm not alone and, and it's a solitary uh, field. Like photography is a very solitary craft, but I'm not alone. And, and so, you know, like I, I really feel like I have angels, like I said earlier, and, and that's really incredible. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's not, none of what I chose was easy. I always think about that. I was like, why did I, what have I done? Like, why did I do this to myself? I think that all the time. But the, like, I'm, I'm so abnormal now. Like I, like I really feel like a weirdo most days, and I feel fully like not, you know, like it's very hard to find belonging. Um, but when you do, you know, you hold on really tight um, to the people who who are capable of still listening to you and who are capable of of like asking for your help as well and 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 letting yeah letting that kind of like lead the way and, and that I think has been transformative. Obviously, I think I'm seeing this now from a place of like I'm feeling a lot better. Like I feel good right now. Like. Obviously, I have wobbles, um, but I don't know necessarily how much of that is because of the work and how much of that is just, you know, my own other issues. <laughs> like, yeah, so. Well, you know, that's really beautiful to hear. I think um, I'm really happy to, to hear you say that. And I think that's one of the most, like, nourishing things you can have in your life, like, uh, you know, good relationships with the people in your life. So, um, yeah, that's awesome. But yeah, I do want to finish things with one last question, which I like asking um, different guests on the pod. Usually the more successful they are, the more interesting the question becomes. But I like to ask, like, what is your, what is your favorite failure? You know, it's, it's something we don't really like to talk about as much. But, you know, um, we, we've had a lot of experiences where something that you thought was an apparent failure eventually led to a lesson or like greater success down the line. And um yeah, I think, you know, we come from a culture that we to talk about the things that you thought you failed in. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious, is there anything you can look back to where you're like, you know, that actually, you know, helped me out in the long run? There's multiple answers to that for me. Like, I, 
when I was starting out, like when I was like 27 or 28, I had this goal that I would make 100 failures, meaning I would just apply to everything and I would try for things that I would clearly not get and just celebrate myself for the act of trying. And so, you know, I was getting all these rejections. Like I, I made a goal of 100 rejections and I think I got to like 60 or something, whatever. Like it, it was a lot. Like it was a lot of rejection for one year. And, you know, like that, that's super, um, that, that was super interesting as an exercise. Um, I think like failure, um, I, I, I don't necessarily look at, it that way I look more like at points of like peaks and troughs like I've definitely had points where I was just at rock bottom already and I think that that's where I began from in fact you know like I had nothing to lose and that's why I could be a photographer um and I think I don't necessarily know how much of that was like just having been given kind of like the wrong cards in life but I I tried to be resourceful in, from that space and tried to find my own way. Well, I, I mean, I think probably I, I w would have wanted to handle, just for myself, like would have wanted to handle 2021 better. You know, like I lost, I, I remember when March 2020 hit, I was booked until September 2020. And within like two hours, I lost everything like all of it all the work i was like it was like being in an abyss where you 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 couldn't see um you couldn't see um a way out like it was like being in a tunnel where there was no light at the end of the tunnel or the light was a train moving moving towards you like that's what my friend likes to say um and I wish I had just learned to be kinder both to myself and to the people around me. Like, funnily, I think, you know, like I always like to say that like my friends in from La Union, like I, I wish I wish that they had had me at my best instead of at my worst. I was like really dying like <laughs> in 2021. Um, and I hated everything. I hated myself. I hated, you know, the circumstance. I hated having freedom cut for me and I became really really bitter um and yet at the same time they stayed like they were the first people to visit me in Paris you know like my those friends from that period and they loved me through all of that and I was surprised at like sort of like the ability of people to love and see you at your worst see you at a time where you're not successful where you're not doing anything where you're like crying all the time where you're just like sobrang pabigat ka lang, and you're just like constantly in a bad mood or whatever <laughs> i don't know um they were there and they're here and they loved me still and and we massage it and so in, in some ways it wasn't a failure right like it was proof that 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 you wouldn't be abandoned as a person um in the world and and that you could have um mistakes that you could make mistakes that you don't have to be sort of this juggernaut of like strength and and beauty and whatever like you could actually just let yourself fall sometimes and know that there will be people there and they will fall with you and drink drink the the poison with you sometimes and find your way back out together and you know like for me like that was transformative I don't know that that was a failure because it was like well 
I also don't want to shame myself for that time because I was going through a lot, you know, mentally. I'd just been detained and then 2020 happened. I was arrested in the Middle East and and then like a month later, the pandemic happened. My lullabies project was halfway, only halfway through. I had to find a way to work it during the pandemic, like all of the shit. Um, and yeah, like what came out of it was all these things and a, a more informed view of picture of the world um that's rooted in reality and not just sort of ideas and i think that that's just kind of part of getting older but i love i love being older it's like there's so much more that i know Kanda. hannah thank you so much for sharing um your personal stories i think it's been really energizing and inspiring for me to hear those and i'm really happy that you know you're in a nice space now um surrounded by people who love you with you know, other creatives that inspire you. And yeah, I can't, yeah, uh, can't wait to see the, the work you put out in the next few years. And thank you so much for being on the pod. Thank you for having me, Gio. You can follow us on Instagram at Kwentong Creatives and on TikTok at kcreatives.geo. Feel free to tag us in your stories with anything you found useful in the episode. We always love hearing from you guys. Also, big thanks to DJ E.T. the Fourth for our music and Laser Kaluya for our design and branding. It isn't no, 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 no.